to the new episode of Entertainment Geekly, your guide to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and awesome. I'm Darren Franich, and joining me uh, back from his trip away from us last week, calling in from his moon base, Entertainment Weekly's Jeff Jensen. Hey, how are you, Jeff? I'm I'm, I'm doing well. Uh, good to have you back here. Uh, a lot of exciting stuff to talk about today. On EW.com this week, we launched our 32 contestant superhero showdown bracket game. Uh, we, we very ambitiously want to figure out who is the greatest superhero of all time, uh, and we're letting uh, readers and you know all you listeners out there vote on this. Uh, Jeff, uh, what do you say we just kind of run down the list of uh, the the main uh, group of 32 and uh, talk about who we think uh, we would we would pick. Sounds good. So we're just going to focus on the first round this week, right? We'll, 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 we'll focus on our first round choices. It's, exactly, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get a little bit more deeper into it uh, next week once we see who makes it through to the round of 16. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited about this. And by the way, good on you for coming up with this, this, this wonderful thing. It definitely scratches my, 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 my bracket entertainment itch. Um, <laughs> you know, like, like you know, I, I like this August madness as sort of like an, uh, a way to get me through to the next March Madness. So, so well done, Darren. Jeff, uh, first off, we have our group of aliens. Uh, the first matchup is between Superman and Silver Surfer. Who do you go with there? You know, uh, as much as I like, you know, surfing hippie extraterrestrials, i.e. Silver Surfer, <laughs> and, I, you know, I dig his cosmic powers, and uh, he appeals to uh, my more modern sensibilities, Superman. It has to be Superman for me. He's just the you know the, the prototype of, of of all superheroes, and uh, you know if they got in a fight, I, I trust that Superman would find a way to eke it out. I have to agree. I I really do like the Silver Surfer, and in some ways, I sort of feel like he's almost maybe a a cool cult choice. Uh, but he's a character where I, I really feel like he had his sort of time in the sun. You know, I, I think if you go back to the 60s and the 70s, he had this sort of real following and he had a very short-lived but really interesting solo series at the time that I think was really interesting and very existential and really a lot different from, uh, you know, a- any other superhero comic book that I can readily think of. Um, but, yeah, it's hard to beat the original superhero, especially since Superman has been around for so long in so many different incarnations I mean, we're talking about a guy who, right now, Grant Morrison is writing a great comic book about him, and there's going to be a new movie about him next year. So, yeah, I'd, I'd have to go with you on that one. Now, our, and, his, and his name isn't Silver Surfer. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm sorry, but if there was a great character in all of comic book uh, lore that was in more desperate need of a new name, <laughs> it's Silver Surfer. It's just hard to take seriously a guy that is like... You know, it's such a cosmic, cool, like you said, existential character, um, and and that that does shine through. But the name is silly. Come on. Every word you're saying is like a dagger through my heart, Jeff. I one of the things that I, I like about the Silver Surfer is that it sounds like something that you know Stan Lee or uh, you know some group of comic book guys literally just came up with in the middle of some 3 a.m. writing session when they were like, well, like, you know, Galactus needs some kind of you know weird Herald guy to go along with him. Let's let's just you know move words together and see what happens. I, I've always kind of enjoyed the fact that. He's such a seemingly ridiculous creation that somehow has a, an, an 
an interesting sort of uh, afterlife. Yeah, um, yeah. But, uh, well, speaking of characters with maybe questionable names, though, our, our, our next uh, contest between two aliens, you have the mighty Thor, who hails from the realm of Asgard, which, while, while was classically supernatural, we're kind of counting that as, as, as a cosmic area, versus the Martian Manhunter. Um, this, this for me is a very easy pick. Uh, Thor was my first favorite superhero when I was growing up. Uh, I, I think he's so interesting and so compelling. Uh, so I, I got to go with Thor. Much as I love, you know, the, the 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 big green guy who has every superpower you can possibly imagine. I resent Thor's presence in the alien section of this bracket. I feel like you've been suckered into the Marvel Studios retcon of Thor as an alien. Also, I hate Thor. Martian Manhunter all the way. <laughs> I love Martian Manhunter. I, you know, he's a difficult character to deal with because, hey, he's green. And um, and he's an alien, but like you know, I uh, from, from Mars and all this kind of stuff. But I've always, you know, he, he's 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 analogous to Silver Surfer in a way. You know, he's he has this sort of existential crisis. He's 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 an exile for for a, a last of his race kind of kind of character. And I, I've always loved his powers. I've always loved his relationship to the other members of the Justice League. Like uh, I, I am pro Martian Manhunter. Well, no, and there's there's a great thing about Martian Manhunter, which you know, in, in in researching this, when I was growing up reading comic books, he was a character who you just always see off to the side of almost every single panel. You know, yeah. he, he was on the Justice League. He just seemed to guest star everywhere. I sort of forgot that, in addition to the fact that he has what all kind of call the mainline powers, you know, he has flight, he has he's super strong, super agility, super stamina, 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 what have you. Um, he also has telekinesis, telepathy, he can change shape. Um, I, I think I'm forgetting a couple others here. I mean, he's a kind of incredibly powerful figure, arguably more powerful than Superman, probably. He is one fully loaded potato, Darren. All right, well, now, Jeff, uh, theoretically, uh, you know, they're, they're sort of low-seated, but who would you pick between Silver Surfer or, or Martian Manhunter? Oh, Silver Surfer versus Martian Manhunter, yeah, or yeah. Superman versus Martian Manhunter? Just, just I'm, 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 I'm theoretically throwing this out here since, since you drew up the comparison between the two of them, between oh, yeah, between good. the I, I... between the existential uh, aliens with monocolored skin. Who would you vote for? <laughs> um, you know, as much as I sounded rather dismissive of Silver Surfer in that matchup. Um, you know, Silver Age versus Golden Age. I go with Silver Age, Silver Surfer. Good to know. Good to know. And and uh, you you know, I feel like I feel, I feel like Surfer and 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 Manhunter could be a fun theme for a costume party someday. Yeah. Moving moving right along, uh, we have a, a four supernatural entities who are in contention here. The first matchup there is between Ghost Rider and Hellboy. Jeff, where, where do you lean there? This is a good matchup. I, I, I really like both of these characters, even though I feel more familiar with Hellboy than Ghost Rider, surprisingly enough. Um, but I hate motorcycles. Hellboy. 
Doesn't doesn't like motorcycles is skeptical about surfboards. Jeff Jensen, everybody. Well, you know, uh, I I actually do. I, I have a weird history with Ghost Rider because I read comic books growing up at a time when Ghost Rider literally had his own corner of the Marvel Universe. There was the there was the Ghost Rider comic book. There was the comic book where he was paired up with the original Ghost Rider. There were all these other kind of spin-off books that were grouped around him. So I, 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 I would imagine there was a time in my life, Jeff, when I was reading two comics per week, the prominently featured Ghost Rider. Uh, nevertheless, uh, we I, I, I've gone on, on, on the record before with my absolute adoration for for the Hellboy character, and I have to say that in researching uh, him deeper for this bracket game, I, I'm really just struck by what an interesting creation he is. I really think that creator Mike Mignola really kind of hit it out of the park there, so I go Hellboy also. Uh, our next matchup is an, an interesting sort of uh, matchup between a relatively newer character and, and a character that goes back to the dawn of comic books. I'm talking about Spawn versus Captain Marvel, a.k.a. Shazam. Where do you lean here, Jeff? You know, there uh, it's hard for me to take Captain Marvel seriously, and in fact, so much so that when I initially saw that you included him in this bracket, I, I, I thought you surely must have meant, like, you know, Captain Marvel, as in Marvel, the Marvel Comics version of Captain Marvel, who tragically died of cancer um, in one of the very first graphic novels that Marvel ever published. Uh, and uh, I, I've I always found that character rather uh, compelling um, uh, compared to the big red cheese that is uh, 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 Captain <laughs> Marvel. Um, but this is tough for me because I was never a Spawn fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I kind of rejected much of the Image Comics ethos of the 90s, was never a massive Todd McFarlane fan. But in a, in a, in a close call between characters that I don't, real, don't really feel any passion for, I think I go with Spawn. It's interesting, you know. I uh, I did, do not have much love for Captain Marvel, uh, but uh, last year I, I read Grant Morrison's book Super Gods, uh, part of which is this really interesting sort of history and analysis of, of the early superheroes. And s- some of his comments about the early Captain Marvels I, I found sort of so interesting that it kind of caused me to reconsider the character. I I sort of feel like he's a character very similar to me uh, to Martian Manhunter and Silver Surfer where their backstory is very interesting and their basic iconography is very interesting, it's hard for me to think of a lot of stories featuring them that I find very interesting. You know, like yeah. it's, it's, it sort of seems like he's a character who's waiting for a really fun, new, modern take on, you know, Captain Marvel and on this sort of really fun notion of this boy becoming a man. And, you know, it's kind of like Tom Hanks is big, but, you know, with this whole kind of retro superhero side. Well, Darren, that was done. It was called Alan Moore's Miracle Man or Marvel Man, as he was known in England. You know Uh, what I mean? uh, mean, Exactly right. And frankly, I I thought about including him. The problem is that I I, I still haven't uh, been able to read those because, I mean, it's it's still kind of impossible to find those over here. They are difficult in in collective form, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but like, uh, but get your hands on those because I think that Alan Moore's Marvel Man, which you know, out of respect to Alan Moore, um, why do I have to give him respect? But I, I feel like I like you know I feel like I want to call him Marvel Man versus as Miracle Man as he was known here. 
but th- those were some of, uh, of the best superhero stories that I, I read in the 80s and this sort of really provocative, dark reinvention of the Superman, Captain Marvel-like superhero archetype. Uh-huh. And, uh, and you know, like, even the fact that Captain Marvel inspired that, I, I want to say gives him a little bit more credence for me, whereas Spawn, sure. I, I really don't like the character. I don't like a lot of what he represents. I, at some point in the future, I'd love to almost do on this podcast a real deep dive into what the Image Comics revolution was, but uh, to me, Spawn is just sort of like the ugliest example of everything I kind of didn't like about the comic books of, of my youth, where it's this sort of, you know, this this needlessly hard edge to the point of absurdity character, and he, he comes from hell, and he's just, just a very unpleasant guy, Spawn is, really. I mean, uh, you know, not not someone that I, I, I really want to spend time with. So for me, this goes to uh, Billy Batson. Um, um, and, and, uh, yeah, okay, so, 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 so your pick is Captain Marvel. My pick is is Captain Marvel. You know, if, if we could do this bracket game over, and if I had been more on the ball and 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 and, and, and contributing to lift the veil, you know, here, you know, behind the scenes, uh, you know, like shenanigans of all of this. <laughs> but this category specifically, supernatural entities, is really missing. Unless you unless you thought about this, I'd love to hear your your, your feedback on this. Is really missing one character that that really needed to be, I think, in this bracket that we kind of maybe dropped the ball on, which was Neil Gaiman, Sandman. Jeff, I, uh, you know. I want all of our listeners to know that uh, you know this this list took me the better part of forty eight hours straight. I was I was locked in a room uh, with with access to nothing except for the complete history of comic books via Wikipedia, and uh, I, I I agonized over every name. And I'm very glad that you bring this up because literally, Jeff, I, I spent the better part of six hours talking to a mirror about whether or not to include Neil Gaiman uh, Neil Neil Gaiman's Morpheus. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong. I, I sort of ultimately landed on the fact that he's such a, 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 an all-powerful being on one hand, and on the other, what he does feels a, a little bit different to me from superheroics. You know, I mean, like uh, certainly over the course of the Sandman, which is one of my my favorite sort of comic book narratives uh, th- that I've ever read, he does do things that could be considered heroic. Certainly, he does. He does everything he does is super. But it felt to me like you know putting him next to Ghost Rider or him next to Hellboy. It, it seems like he's he's on, on on a different plane. And I sort of had this same problem with the character of Yorick Brown from Why the Last Man and Jeff. Custer from Preacher, where sure. you know certainly like things about them. I mean, I I, I almost want to have like a separate bracket that's just sort of like awesome comic book characters <laughs> bracket. That's a good point. If we were <laughs> if we were to do a bracket called this is a bracket game called Who is the Greatest Superhero of All Time, and you kind of want um, characters that that uh, as best as possible conform to that kind of like archetype. And one of the things that makes Sandman great is that he kind of transcends a lot of that. Yeah. Um, uh, still, like, uh, like, but, and, and so I respect that, Darren, and, and, and I think we should probably move on. But I respect your, uh, I'm glad that you gave it six hours of talking to yourself in the mirror. L- I respect that. Jeff, every, every element of this, there, my, my blood, sweat, and tears is, is in this list. Um, <laughs> but, uh, not, but, uh, not everything, though. Some some of these matchups did sort of write themselves in a really interesting way. Uh, moving up, moving right along to the science gone wrong chapter, uh, certainly something that's really keyed into the whole superhero. 
uh, narrative. Our first matchup there, Jeff, is between Spider-Man and Daredevil. Old friends, generally speaking, in this first round, we tried to do the matchups in a way where, you know, it was different companies or different kind of backgrounds, but these are characters who are very linked together in a lot of ways. So it was, it, it, it was it's, it's tough for me to decide. What decides it for me between Spider-Man and Daredevil is that I've just recently discovered... Um, the uh, the Frank Miller Essentials trade paperbacks, which is you know back when Frank Miller was in his early pre vaguely fascist days and was uh, working <laughs> on uh, was working on Daredevil and boy that that incarnation of Daredevil I think is just in- incredible. It's really some of the most fun superhero comics I've ever read. And throwing in the fact that I still find Daredevil's power to be one of the most enjoyably sort of eccentric. For me, it's, it's Daredevil over Spider-Man here. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, um, let's, let's just talk big picture a little bit about this bracket, uh, this, this region. We're in the southwest region of this bracket game. That's correct. And now, and this is the science gone wrong section, and my bold prediction will be that um, the winner of this region will come out of these these two matchups we're about to talk about, Spider-Man versus Daredevil and the Hulk versus the Flash. I don't think that you could have com- uh, ha- uh, put together a more competitive uh, a pair of matchups there. This is pretty intense. This is, yeah, this is the, the, the Pac-12. Uh, this is the, um, the uh, NFC East. This, this is a lot of other things from sports that I, I don't understand, but I'm talking about as, as if I do, you know? This I mean, is the uh, SEC North, basically. <laughs> of uh, uh, Yeah, I mean, this is Alabama and LSU, and then we got, like, you know, Arkansas and, um, and something else. Okay, I will, I will so. take your word for it. Okay, so Spider-Man versus Daredevil. I, I hear what you're saying. The Frank Miller run on Daredevil um, um, is one of the great runs in all of comics. Um, you know, I think that we could put it up against, you know, Lee Ditko, uh, and, you know, we, we would really have a lot of angst over which one we like better or, or should go with there. Um, Daredevil has also had a lot of other great runs with great writers, including, including Brian Michael Bendis. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Daredevil, uh, and I think that the, what, what Miller did with him in the 80s, you know, vaulted you know, uh, you know, Daredevil to the forefront of superheroes, and I think forced you know, Batman over there at DC to, to, to raise his game because Daredevil sort of became the sort of like best kind of archetype of sort of the urban vigilante hero, you know, even if he had the kind of like special powers of the radar senses. That said, you are a crazy man for choosing him over Spider-Man. Spider-Man is like just one of the great pop culture creations of the past 100 years. Like, it's almost amazing to me that I have to defend him to you right now. Um, But just everything he represented in the Silver Age of Comics and the Marvel Age of Comics, um, the adolescent point of view, the angst, the sort of like counterpoint that he represented, just sort of like the superhero archetypes defined by Batman or Superman. The costume, Darren, the costume is amazing, you know? Um, Just his whole attitude and, uh, like, uh, Spider-Man is is, is a wonderful, wonderful, perfect thing. (laughs) Spider-Man all the way. Uh, Jeff, I I, I hear all of your arguments and take them very much to heart. Let me try to explain this a little bit uh, by referring back to 
by making a slight analogy here. So Spider-Man absolutely is such an important figure in comic book history. There's no question about that. Daredevil kind of can't help but seem to pale in comparison. Certainly, like, Spider-Man's origin story may very well be, like, the sort of greatest of all origin stories, you know, the way that it kind of builds on the basic, you know, loss of a parent that was so key to the DC era origins and adds in this whole aspect of culpability and moral responsibility. Let me throw something your way, though, Jeff. And I say this as someone who has read a lot of Spider-Man comic books. Uh, you know, growing up was, you know, boy, talk about Ghost Rider being big. I think Spider-Man was in about 50 comics per month back then. Um, I think that uh, as a character, he has gotten steadily less interesting to the point that I almost want to say that uh, it's hard for me to really think of... I, I, I sort of think a lot of what makes him great, icon, iconography-wise, is very much rooted in the first, like, ten years or so of his existence, to the extent that even, I, I think probably the, the most exciting Spider-Man comic book narrative of the last ten years was Ultimate Spider-Man, which brought it right back to that original thing. I mean, yeah. I, 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 I sort of feel like, as a character... He is so interesting, but I, I, I'm beginning to wonder if he lends himself to many more interpretations than the classic in, in, in interpretation. Now, uh, obviously, Daredevil can't compete with him in terms of the sheer sweep of his influence, but there's something about Daredevil, the more that I read him, where I almost feel like Daredevil is the grown-up version of Spider-Man. And yes. by by grown-up, I don't mean, you know, we've seen Spider-Man uh, grow up and get married and have various jobs circulating around at, at the Daily Bugle and become single again. But Daredevil, to me, at his core is a character who, almost by virtue of the fact that he doesn't feel the need to keep talking about with great power comes great responsibility, strikes me as a character who's also a little bit... He's someone that I think I really, as I read him, I sort of aspire to be him. But he's also an interesting character and very flawed in a lot of ways. Whereas I feel like Spider-Man, because what's so key to his character is this notion of him reflecting flaws, I feel like he is maybe almost reached this 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 point where he's hermetically sealed in one very specific part of his character's evolution. This is all getting really really cerebral, you know, like like I said, Jeff, this is this is what you think about when you're, you know, locked in a room with with no windows for for 24 hours straight thinking about superheroes. But I I think that Daredevil is a character that we have we we, we haven't seen the greatest Daredevil story yet. I I do think we've seen the best Spider-Man story. You know, I and I kind of agree with everything that you've said. Won the uh, argument. Won the argument, listeners. You heard it. <laughs> that said, you're still wrong. Spider-Man is better. <laughs> um, I think what you're saying is, as an adult male, you relate to Daredevil more, and I and and I I would agree with that. I think that like going forward in my comic book reading, if there is a character between these two characters that is going to cough up a story that's going to mean something to me, as like you know an adult guy wrestling with adult world problems and in adult relationships and um, like overcoming my, you know, uh, uh, cynicism and all this kind of stuff. Like Daredevil is going to be that guy compared to a character who like for better or worse is forever going to be an adolescent to young adult kid in in the comics. He's Mm -hmm. always going to toggle between those two like, uh, 
you know, it, it exist within that age bracket because that's just what Spider-Man is, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of grow out of Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, and, and, but I don't think that should be held against him. Like, he's just an, it's still an amazing character. And I think the, and here's where I would disagree with you. Um, is that I think that with great power comes great responsibility is the best and maybe only superhero story worth telling, um, thematically speaking. And there are only a handful of characters that can do that potently, um, and, uh, and, and, and Spider-Man is one of them. I think that even though that is a young man's story there, um, I think that that resonates uh that origin story and riffs on that origin story and, and uh, like just resonate across the ages. I think I think you're 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 absolutely right. We'll have to respectfully agree to disagree here. Meanwhile, I'm sort of left pondering why I apparently have this real fixation on devil-themed superheroes between <laughs> Daredevil and Hellboy. You're Cle- satanic. Yeah, clearly clearly something in my Catholic upbringing. Um, well, let's let, let's move on to a maybe a maybe less controversial. Uh, matchup, although we'll see. Uh, Jeff, The Incredible Hulk versus The Flash. This is uh, a great matchup. It's 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 a great matchup. I mean, this is almost a matchup that you know you you'd love to see them do battle because it almost seems like it's it's the classic you know brawn versus brain, pure force versus the sort of strategic capability. Uh, where do you where do you, who, who between these two uh, competitors do you choose? You know, I wrote this essay for us, and kind of researching this one, it's just amazing, like, um, how significant each of these characters are to the medium, Um, especially the Silver Age Flash, to whom we kind of owe the resurgence and the the, the creation of this sort of, like, uh, mid-century era of comics that laid the foundation for today's modern superhero, but kind of, like, saved the comic book industry. Um, And I I love The Flash. I think that um, I I love how this character can play with, with, you know, because of what he can do. He can run really, really fast. Um, And given sort of what we're kind of learning about physics and 20th century physics and quantum physics, I mean, this is a character that can really commune with all this kind of stuff. And I love that, you know, uh, you know, he could travel through time and and, and all of this stuff. Um, And he kind of seems to be a very relevant uh, character to our culture, given, you know, he's rooted in science, but also kind of technology and everything is moving faster. The Flash is just a great character historically. Um, uh, he's fun to think about, but the Hulk is really cool too. You know, um, he's very, very different kind of hero to introduce in the, in, in, in the sixties. And, you know, he wasn't, he, you know, like, you know, like the Sandman argument that you put forth, um, he's not really a superhero. Um, and he's, um, modern comics first attempt to really kind of grapple with the anti-hero, um, and, the, the the misunderstood hero and, um, he was very popular with the counterculture scene in the '60s, and he's got this deceptively complicated, like, like thing about him because of the schizoid psychology, which writers across, you know, over the past 40 years have had a lot of fun with. I'm, I'm stuck. I don't know. I think that both of them are so significant. It's a wash from a from a historical per- perspective, but I think that moving forward. The Flash still has the most potential.
potential. Yep. Because I think he's the most culturally relevant to the now and to move, moving forward. And kind of like what you said about Daredevil, um, you know, I don't know if if the best Flash stories have been written yet. I think that Flash has more story in him. Um, and um, and uh, yeah, I, I I absolutely agree with all of that. I mean, like, and certainly, and you know, this is an, an even uh, an interesting thing also because the Hulk has this real just like core iconic appeal and there is something just so uh organically fascinating ab- about his backstory i mean you know you you, you, could, you could say it's it, it, it's it's a, a, another one of those just pure myth backstories but yeah you know i um th- there's something about the flash that i find just so invigorating and you know i i was i was a huge fan of the character growing up i i, I remember the awful tv show that was on back in the early 90s and it it, it does seem like He's someone that, to the mainstream, he must seem even a little bit ridiculous now in some ways. And it, it does sound sort of funny, this idea of a guy who just runs really fast. But I, I, for me, it's, it's a very easy choice for The Flash. I, I, just, I, I feel like there's something so immediately kind of compelling about him. The other thing is, you know, no jam on the Hulk, but almost every Hulk story is basically the same. It's like Bruce Banner, like, oh man, like, I hope I don't freak out and turn into the Hulk, and then he freaks out and turns into the Hulk, and that's, you know, end of end of the story, except for those times when, for whatever reason, he just is the Hulk all the time, and then nothing happens. I I don't know. I, I think that uh, I'd, I'd go with the Flash over, over the Hulk any day. And the Flash has an awesome costume. No question. Very, I mean, and, 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 and he could hide it inside a ring on his finger. Inside of a ring on his finger. That's so cool. I, 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 I always felt like there was an interesting, like, like panel missing, because, you know, there would always be the close-up on, you know, the costume, like, coming out of the ring, and then suddenly he, he was in his costume, and it was like, was that, how did he, was, <laughs> did, where did he put his other clothes, like... Uh, yep. Let's 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 move along uh, to uh, the other the next corner of our Southwest uh, bracket. Uh, characters who are transformed by mysterious space magic. Uh, this this is a little bit tongue in cheek. Uh, space magic here basically implies you know some sort of curious cosmic power, cosmic rays, you know a, a meteorite, something that magically gives them powers. Usually comes from comic book science of the early fifties. First matchup here, uh, Jeff, we have a character who's been around for a very long time, and actually, I, I think our, our most recently created character on the list, Green Lantern versus The Great Machine, a.k.a. Mitchell 100 from Brian K. Vaughn's Ex Machina. What do you think here? Um, I feel like I'm a big fan of Green Lantern, and I love the story of The Great Machine, and uh, of, of Ex Machina. Um, this is in, in the con, how I kind of make sense of this matchup is I kind of punt to the, you know, what this is about. Who's the greatest superhero of all time? And um, uh, I can't point to a lot of great Green Lantern stories that, you know, like, oh, like, oh man, that was awesome, you know? But I love his character. Um, I think he's really cool. I love the whole power ring. I love the whole mantra, you know, and you know, the, the, the thing that he recites that now is not coming to mind. I love the whole Global Guardians concept. Um, I love the cheesiness of, like, how his, uh, his, 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 his ring can work, against, you know, against anything as long as it's not yellow, you know. Um, like, I, 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 I dig the Green Lantern. 
Um, Ex Machina is a great story, one of the best comic book stories of the new century. Um, but I don't necessarily think of Mitchell Hundred um, or as he was known in his, you know, uh, costume crime fighting days, the the Great Machine, um, as you know, he's definitely. Uh, uh, on an iconic level, a superhero archetypal level. I mean, uh, yeah, he just, he, I, I just cannot in good conscience yep, yep. vote him over Green Lantern. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mainly thought he was an interesting addition here, putting aside the fact that, you know, Ex Machina is, is a great story, because I, I think that there's something genuinely uh, interesting about his power, this notion yeah. that, you know, not, not only does he kind of, like, control machines, he literally just talks to them, you know? And like, I, I, I thought that that was rendered... It's so interesting that, you know, because the comic book in general feels, you know, very realistic and, you know, like, it feels very steeped in the kind of modern style of comic book storytelling, but that almost seemed like something out of the 1940s to me, you know? Like, hey, hey, egg beater, you know, hey, hey radio, do this. Like, um, but, uh, yeah, I... I have to agree. I, uh, Green Lantern is another one of those characters. I, I would actually say somewhat co- a common problem on, on the DC side of the equation where you have these characters who have been around for so long and it's very hard to pick out a great story with them per se. That being said, as someone who grew up reading a lot of uh, Justice League, I, I always really felt like Green Lantern was just this great character to have on a team, you know? I mean, like, he's almost like, he to me is, is like Otter from Animal House, where he's just like this this total badass who has no fear, and, you know, just Hal Jordan is usually kind of portrayed as, as a guy who, in contrast to a lot of superheroes, is just completely self-assured and very confident. I, I, I will say that I, I'm always kind of... I'm, I'm waiting for that creator to come along who really takes this idea of, you know, being able to make anything with the ring and really sort of do something interesting with that. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think Green Lantern has to advance along here. Um, our next and, and last matchup uh, on, on this side, we have Invisible Woman from Fantastic Four versus Metamorpho. Um, a couple of maybe outside-of-the-box picks here, Jeff. Uh, wh- which way do you... Uh, which who who do you choose? Um, you know, it's funny. I've definitely read so many more Invisible Woman stories over the years than I have Metamorpho stories, um, and I have a lot of respect for um, Invisible Woman. Um, I think that I I I was prone to not think much of her um, uh, in you know in in her early years in the Fantastic Four, as written by Lee and Kirby. Um, as done by Lee and Kirby. Um, but, you know, what John Byrne did with her um, during his kind of fabled run in the 80s on Fantastic Four kind of really elevated her in my mind, and, um, and I respect her powers a, a lot more. That said, I love Metamorpho. <laughs> I, love, I love his name. I love his freaky look, uh, all the different weird things that he can do. When I was like a kid, I had this record that my parents bought me, and it was this, this, this vinyl record, and it told all sorts of different stories about different DC characters, and there was a Metamorpho story, and it had this like cool theme song, and it went like, Metamorpho, Metamorpho, and I was like, ever since that day, I am, I am on board with anything called 
called Metamorpho. Metamorpho is maybe like one of the coolest characters ever made. His superpower, he can turn into any element. That just seems like, I mean, y- you can do anything with that. I mean, it's uh, it's great. I mean, even his his real name is probably the coolest superhero real name ever. Rex Mason? Like, yeah. God, he, he sounds like a guy who'd be like, you know, fighting the Nazis in World War II or something. I mean, uh, <laughs> no, I gotta, I, 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 as, as much as I, I, I love Sue Storm, uh, I, I, I gotta send Metamorpho along here, although something tells me that the vast majority of our voters will not. Um, let's keep this chugging right along, Jeff. Uh, we're moving along now to the group of masked, or I'm sorry, of, of, of streetwise crime fighters, gritty, you know, superheroes who are on the street fighting, you know, fighting criminals in the shadows, you know, noir, Bogart, all that stuff. The first matchup here, it's a real heartbreaker. Uh, two of the finest comic book characters in very different ways. Jeff, we got Batman versus Rorschach. Yeah. Well, this is tough. Um, uh, more, more for sentimental reasons than objective reasons, um, because of how we both feel about Watchmen as a story and how Rorschach was surprisingly like the heart, if you will, of, uh, of that story, even though he was a very provocative and challenging and troubling uh, character. Batman all the way, though. Yep. I mean, um, it, as much as Rorschach is almost a, a, a very cool, provocative critique of the kind of archetype that Batman perhaps best embodies, I, you know, Batman's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, sad to say that uh, whatever Rorschach did critique, Batman has also probably self-critiqued that at some point in his history. It's, yes. It's, it, it's impossible not to choose him. I think it's fair to say that Batman is the one to beat in this bracket. It'll be interesting to see who he uh, winds up facing later on. I don't know what the best sports analogy is here, Jeff. Maybe he's the Yankees or he's the, the Lakers or he's the USA Gymnastics team. Um, um, yeah, uh, like he's, uh, he's something. He's, he's something. <laughs> listeners, I mean, listeners, just, come like, back, it, come back every week for, for hardcore, <laughs> hardcore clever analysis from your favorite you know, entertainment it, week. It, in the battle between Superman and Batman, one of them is the Yankees and one of them is the Boston Red Sox. And Ooh. I just don't know which one is who. Ooh, th- that, 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 that'll be something that we'll, we'll be meditating on in, in future podcasts, Jeff. And I'll be, sure yeah. to, I'll be sure to Wikipedia Yankees and Red Sox so I can speak to that. <laughs> uh, next up in our Streetwise Crime Fighters, uh, I think a really interesting face-off. Two characters who are similar in some ways, very different in other ways. The Punisher and The Spirit. Uh, you know, I, I have to admit that, like, uh, I, I know much more about the Punisher than I do about the Spirit. Uh, I, I know that everyone always says that the 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 Will Eisner incarnation, or the, the the original Will Eisner Spirit comic books, are some of the finest uh, in the medium. They're they're sort of unknown to me. Uh, the Punisher is a character that I have huge moral problems with. Uh, I, I loved him when I was a kid, and I now sort of question what loving him did to my uh, general sanity. <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I gotta say, there's the, the Garth Ennis, uh, Punisher series, or, or rather the, uh, the number of different uh, Garth Ennis story arcs, uh, where he wrote the Punisher for, sort of off and on for about five or six years there, really captured, I think, this darkly comedic side to the Punisher, 
and that that is you know it, it's it, it's that kind of thing that really makes makes me choose him in this matchup is that you know as much as like the notion of someone who who just kills people all the time I think that 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 could get boring but I I, I think there's a certain comedic side to that that I kind of appreciate so I go with the Punisher what do you, what do you think Jeff um. I wish that I had. Um, I, I'm kind of, strangely enough. I, I'm kind of with you on the spirit. Um, he's not a character that I've read a lot of, though. I, I know my Will Eisner and um, and and the guy. Look, without the spirit and without Will Eisner's the spirit, you, you don't have a lot of comics. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, he has that kind of influence and impact on the medium that we talk about when we talk about things like, you know, what, what Citizen Kane did for a lot of filmmakers going, mm-hmm. moving forward. Um, I, everything that's really interesting about the Punisher also makes him, uh, loathsome to me. <laughs> um, uh, and, 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 and he was a character, especially in the nineties that, um, that represented a certain kind of nihilism that, like, I hated. Um, but with that said, like, that's what makes him really interesting and really provocative. Um, the, the Punisher is this sort of, like, you know, meta-critique of the whole vigilante superhero archetype. And he goes to really dark, extreme places, and he gets us, in, in, in doing that, gets us questioning whether or not we should be esteeming any of these superheroes in any way, you know? But I think that Batman encompasses a lot of those themes, too. So I think Batman, for me, trumps the Punisher, whereas the spirit does something very different. My, my recollection of the spirit is that while he is a streetwise crime fighter, there's something about him that's a little more lighter, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Even, and, and, but also encompasses also at the same time more some of those, those exist- yummy existential themes that we love to talk about. Yummy, yummy, um, yummy. Well, it's, um, it's, and, so I, I, and, and in terms of his significance to the medium and on an, an all-time level, I, I will take the spirit. You're going to the spirit, okay. Now, you know, uh, this is actually, you know, um, the, the fact that neither of us know that much about him, I'm going to kind of study up on this because, uh, you know, I, as, as someone who has recently had to defend the film Citizen Kane from people who say they just don't get it, I, I, I'm, I'm, feeling like, I'm feeling like I sort of owe it to uh, Mr. Eisner, uh, may, may he rest in peace, um, to, uh, to read up on him a little bit. Did, did you ever wind up seeing the, the Frank Miller version of The Spirit, Jeff, the, 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 the movie? I, uh, uh, I, I, I heard it was awful, but it's even funnier because what you're saying about how The Spirit was in some ways v- v- like much lighter, it's funny to compare that to what little I, I've seen of the movie, which seemed a little, a little heavy-handed, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Um, let's move right along. Now, uh, listeners, we had to, in general, we tried to be fair here. We tried to mix together you know, Marvel and DC and independent, uh, you know, uh, creator-owned characters. At a certain point, though, Jeff, we had to just uh, come to the, you know, we we, we had to admit that there are just too many good X-Men superheroes to not include multiple members of of the team. So that's why we have the four-person special X-Men showdown. Uh, and, and and frankly, I, I sort of feel like even in the four people that we have, we could easily swap out three of them and bring in three equally worthwhile characters. I mean, it, it's funny that, like, Marvel's mutants, much more so than any other super team, has just led to the creation of so many interesting uh, crime fighters over the years. Um, 
First and foremost, Jeff, in our X-Men showdown, we have Wolverine versus Kitty Pride. Your your thoughts are welcome. <laughs> are they? Um, Wolverine. Yep. I uh, I think Kitty Pride is such a cool character, and uh, there's even something... I, I'd love to try to make the outside-the-box case for how the fact that she can shift through everything makes her maybe the most powerful character in, in, in the Marvel Universe, but uh, Wolverine's Wolverine. Right, I mean, and Kitty Pride does something that I feel like I've seen other uh, superheroes do. I mean, like, Kitty Pride is basically a, 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 a cute human version of, the, of Vision mm-hmm. um, uh, from the Avengers. Um, Wolverine's significance to the past, I don't know, what, 40 years of comics just can't be... Um, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just it, it's very essential. A Wolverine kind of, um, you know... We we focus so much on things like the Dark Knight, Frank Miller's The Dark Knight, and Alan Moore's Watchmen is sort of this beginning of the of the grim and gritty movement of of you know of comics. But it was really Wolverine that kind of started it and kind of brought this kind of like bracing, challenging, slightly disturbing kind of new you know Byronic hero archetype and, and into into comics and you can make an argument that because of the growing popularity of Wolverine in the late seventies into, into the early eighties, kind of like you know pushes is more responsible for for Batman's darkening than anything else, you know. Um, but I, I I like Wolverine's like complexity of his character and like the he's got this amazingly rich backstory and and, and powers that are cool, but a condition that's almost like an affliction. Mm-hmm. And he's got this sort of nature that is meant to be overcome and controlled and managed. And and, and he's got it. You know, there's always part of him that's a that's part of his story that's about redemption and he's very romantic character um like uh, you know there's just a lot to him kitty pride is significant too i mean if only, for, <laughs> if, if only for the reason that she was very different and unusual at the time when she was introduced um you know a, a young teenage girl um not a lot of those in comics in the 80s um and uh, and 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 so to introduce her into the mix of what was you know the most popular comic of the time and 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 remains one of the most popular comics ever and 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 the whole creative ambition of taking like a 13 year old girl and slowly surely growing her up over time uh is a a really cool thing and thanks to kitty pride and joss whedon's love of that character we have something like buffy so she's significant um Mm -hmm. but 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 wolverine feels just just in, in terms of the context of this competition like Wolverine wins in my mind. Yep, Wolverine is is Wolverine. Definitely another big hitter here. It'll be, it'll be fun to see how he how he uh, how he uh, performs in the tournament going forward. Uh, now our other X Men, or should I say X Woman competition here, a little bit more interesting, I think. Jeff, uh, you got Storm. And you have Jean Grey, a.k.a. Marvel Girl, a.k.a. The Phoenix, a.k.a. Dark Phoenix, a.k.a. Jean Grey's clone. Um, Two really interesting, dynamic female characters. Uh, It almost seems like a crime to pair them off right here. Uh, You know, I... 
maybe just because of the the moment when I grew up reading comic books, Jean Grey was sort of in the background. I feel like she's a character who people of a certain age have this really vivid memory of her during the Phoenix saga. I I, I don't share that, so uh, I, I really ha- have to go with Storm on this one. I've always thought that she was such an interesting character. I thought that you know the fact that she was basically one of the main leaders of, of the X Men was always really cool, and just I you know I I I think that. Th- the idea of uh, uh, being able to control the weather, I just have always found so interesting. I mean, maybe that's a reason why I, I enjoy Thor so much, too. But, like, talk about, like, a, a, a power that seems like it could be used in any number of ways. So for me, uh, Storm is the choice here. What do you think? I'm one of those guys that you refer to, the guy that kind of came of age uh, in, in, in the late 70s, early 80s on comics, and so the Dark Phoenix saga and Jean Grey is just, you know, like, f- for me, like, the greatest, like, superhero comic book storyline ever, and she was the central figure in that, and, um, you know, basically X- from Giant Size X-Men number one and X-Men 94 all the way through the end of that burn Claremont Byrne run in, in X-Men 143 and Jean Grey's death in 137. I mean, you just, that whole epic sweep of stories building to her death and what that does to the X-Men. It's just absolutely amazing and powerful and poignant and moving. Um, but when it comes to Jean Grey, like, I absolutely actually totally agree with you. Even though that she was the central figure in one of the great comic book stories ever told um that should have been it for her she Mm -hmm. should have died and should have should have stayed away (laughs) Mm -hmm. they they should have kept her dead and buried but they brought her back and so for me now she's damaged goods and she's representative of the of of, of the worst aspects of reboot mentality absolutely and well and and she i mean with her it's especially true because they brought her back it was retroactively established that the character we thought was gene gray was not actually gene gray they killed her off again during grant morrison's run uh uh, th- th- there are plans now to bring her back her younger self in-, in the new era of Marvel that's coming up. I mean, it feels to me like, you know, I, I always remember that there were those characters who died who had stayed dead, whose kind of non-presence in the universe was always so interesting. Like, you had Gwen Stacy, you had Jason Todd back before they brought him back to life, the uh, second Robin. I mean, certainly, you know, you, you had Uncle Ben, and uh, it seems like... If she, if she, if they had never brought her back, then she would still just be one of the really sort of you know important figures in Marvel comic book history, and it it, it feels like they they have sort of taken that away a little bit in the intervening decades. Absolutely, and th- you know, like there were a lot of amazing X Men stories that came after um, her her death that are also rendered somewhat meaningless by the very dynamic that you're talking about because for years and years and many many issues her death had this really huge impact her her absence her loss had a huge impact on these characters and it was to chris claremont's great you know uh genius uh um, I just loved how he dealt seriously with that, mm-hmm. and and so there were some arcs like when uh, when, when Scott Summers finds uh, someone new to fall in love with, um, and, uh, and 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 how he has to sort of deal with you know the lingering grief of Jean Grey. I have to I had to move past that before he can move on, and what it did to Wolverine as well. Like 
Yeah, so, and, and, and we're talking so much about why we're not voting for Jean Grey. Like, <laughs> um, Storm is just, um, I wish that, you know, I, I, I got out of X-Men comics, like, you know, after about issue 200 uh, of that series and kind of like came, went in and out of that. Storm is a beautiful character. I think she's very inspirational and aspirational. Um, I love the bold choice that one of her great stories in, 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 in the X-Men comics, one of the best storylines and ideas that in, in 80s and 90s comics was taking her powers away, yes. but, but, but dealing with her seriously as a character and as a woman and, and, and kind of growing her up and changing her. And even though she went through that horrible, hideous punk era, <laughs> visually, character-wise, she went through some really fascinating changes and... Um, and I, like uh, she's just like a, a, a really wonderful endure a character that deserves to endure and um, and cool. Absolutely, we both we both love Storm so much. So she she has to go right along, only to be inevitably defeated by Wolverine in, in the Probably. next round. <laughs> Jeff, uh, just 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 out of interest, because you know this was I think the most controversial part of our bracket because there are so many other X Men. Uh, I saw in in the comment boards a lot of people were asking where is Rogue, where is Gambit. The answer to the first one is I wish she could be here. The answer to the second one is throwing playing cards is not a real superpower. But um, <laughs> I I. I I'm intrigued. Are, are there any X-Men who you would rotate in here or, or, or who, who you really think would have belonged on this list? You know, um, yeah, uh, I mean, it's tough. Um, you know, it, it is tough. I, my, my favorite X-Man of all time is, is Nightcrawler. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved Nightcrawler, and I and and I loved his powers. I loved Bamf. Um, <laughs> um, I loved that he was an attempt to bring spirituality into comics. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved. Um, I, so I, I think he's just. Uh, when I was a kid, Nightcrawler was the superhero I wanted to be after Spider Man. Um, like I was always kind of attracted to the superheroes that that looked scary but had a wonderfully heroic character to them. So Spider Man, I mean, has one of the best costume, if not the best superhero costume of all time. But he looks creepy. And similarly, Nightcrawler has this kind of fearsome visage, but you know, but was also but had this wonderful humanity and deep spirituality. And the comics took that seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 found great drama in pairing him off uh, and dealing with people who disagreed with his religious beliefs or didn't have any religious beliefs, um, and that was just really I mean, smart. I mean, you know, talk about like you, that issue, giant size X Men, which, which introduced the, the sort of new generation of X Men. I mean, God, you got Nightcrawler, you got Colossus, you got Storm, you have Wolverine. Not his first appearance, but his sort of first incarnation as an X Man. Like, I mean, that's that's just like you know, a, a, I mean, that could be its own list of the greatest superheroes ever, right there. I mean, you know, no need to mention Thunderbird because he died pretty quickly afterwards. But it, it's interesting that I mean, you know, God, like what a what what, what, what a group of A-listers that just went on to have this huge life for decades afterwards. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of Cyclops, too, to be honest with you. I mean, he, he, he gets a bad rap, and he's, you know, he's, he's boring, he's a stick in the mud, yeah. you know, he's kind of like this, you know, aloof, detached white guy, and hey, I'm an aloof, detached white guy, so <laughs> go figure. Um, um, but, you know, during, during the, the, the Dark Phoenix run, I mean, he was this, like, you know, you know, I, I, like, 
you know, he was a great, uh, I, I, I dug him. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I've always felt that Cyclops is the, the David Schwimmer of, of the X-Men. Uh, <laughs> I think that uh, people don't like him, but that's just because he kind of has to carry a huge amount of, of the plot and the overall kind of weight of, of, of the fictional world on his shoulders. So, well, he um, becomes kind of like, he, like, you know, especially after Claremont kind of like cycled through him. I mean, there isn't much to him. Um, and it seemed that writers after Claremont had a hard time connecting to him mm-hmm. and making him anything more than just a brooding, boring stick in the mud. He seemed to be kind of like, it, you got the sense that after Claremont, X-Men, modern X-Men writers sort of agreed with the belief that, 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 that he didn't deserve Jean Grey, that Wolverine should have had her, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, th- th- that should have been the romance that was chosen to flourish. And so, I, like, you know, it was, and, and there is something about him that um, he became sort of like that, uh, I don't know if I really, uh, how to articulate this in any intelligent way. Do it, um, do it in the stupidest way possible. But, you know, it, it seemed that a lot of sort of the, the more postmodern writers that like to sort of deconstruct the white male hero, if you wanted to do that in the, in, 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 in the context of the X-Men world, the guy that you pick on is Cyclops. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he's the guy that you just kind of like reveal to be held hostage by any number of like psychological issues that sort of like... Um, like compromise his integrity as a hero and uh, isn't worth emulating. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm looking forward to someone who could kind of take that character and kind of reinvent him, not necessarily in an admirable way, but certainly like a lighter way. Mm-hmm. I, I'm hoping for a, 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 a happier future for, uh, for, for, for poor Scott Summers. I, I agree. Uh, just a couple of two detached white guys here who really like Cyclops. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's keep this gravy train rolling, Jeff, and uh, let's talk about two characters who aren't detached white guys. Uh, we have a bracket here of visiting dignitaries. Basically, these are characters who are intended to represent a country. You know, perhaps they're royalty, perhaps they're just uh, diplomats. Uh, right now, we have Wonder Woman versus Black Panther. These are two really... Uh, these are two big guns, I, I-, I think. Uh, it's hard for me to decide between them. Wonder Woman is yet another one of those characters who is so cool in theory, and I I find it difficult to recall actually any stories that I I felt really defined her or, you know, any stories that I really found compelling. Uh, Black Panther is a character who is so hugely important in the Marvel Universe, you know, one of the first black superheroes, um, you know, someone who I've always thought he had this really cool backstory. I mean, you know, he came from this African nation, and it was sort of like half-steeped in you know, sort of real-world geopolitics and half-steeped in this almost sort of mythological background. And, I, you know, this, the, what was it called? Uh, the vibranium, which was their uh, mineral ore. Um, so I, this is this is a really tough one for me, Jeff. I, I, I'm actually kind of split on it, honestly. What, what, what are you thinking? You know, I, I feel the same way about, uh, 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 like, these are really two... Uh, these are two cool characters, um, significant to the respective creative worlds. Wonder Woman certainly has far more cultural heft to her. Um, 
but they're also, I think, searching, still searching for their best stories. Um, I think that you've got to go with Wonder Woman, though. Yeah, I, I think that I, I think that you know it, it has to be done, if only because I mean she really does have this immediately recognizable iconography in, in a way that very few other you know characters in fiction period have. I, I will say this is another example where Grant Morrison has really opened my eyes to her in a way, and I, I would hardly recommend reading his book Super Gods, which I will uh, stop talking about in in you know another few years or so. But uh, his his read on Wonder. Woman, I always thought was very interesting because he sort of talked about how, you know, in her original incarnation, her creator, William Marston, really had this vivid idea of using her as, uh, you know, this sort of example of a new woman. And it's this real interesting kind of proto-feminism in a way that, you know, is both progressive and can seem sort of strange to the modern eyes. And I, I don't know, I almost want to say that she's a much weirder character in a good way than people give her credit for. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when, when you start scratching uh, under the surface of, 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 of her creation, and, 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 and especially that guy... Um, he was great, like, right? I mean, it, I mean, it was based partially on his wife and partially on their live-in collective lover. I, I think, right? Is is that the, the story? That I mean, she, she's an, she's an, uh, she's she's even more fascinating when you realize that she's a product of all of this of, of this man's very peculiar um, uh, 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 backstory, but also his idealism as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that he thought that this scantily clad like you know uh, a pinup girl like superheroine was going to redeem young male notions of femininity mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and and we can debate and argue whether or not Wonder Woman has uh, uh, helped that cause or hindered that cause well, but that's what makes her kind of really interesting and I think that um, I, I still think that there are a lot that that that, that because yep. I, I don't know if Wonder Woman has ever been done right. She's mm-hmm. a great, iconic character, but has she been has she been done not just like what, what's her great defining story? Although you know what? No, no. I thought whenever she's been used and 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 to explore sort of DC's sort of like mythological kind of uh, component of its universe, like the, the George Perez stuff of the '80s, I loved. You know. Um, but like as a character through which you could explore, uh, you know, womankind, that sort of seems to be the implicit promise of Wonder Woman. You know, we're going to use this character to talk about women. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 like I don't know if we. Yeah, seen I, no, no, I, I, I agree, Jeff. Uh, we should save this for a, a lengthy five-hour podcast audiobook where we really kind of delve into the you know gender roles and Wonder Woman. I, 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 I think that's a sort of intriguingly uh, bottomless uh, potential uh, conversation to be explored at some point. Hopefully, when Warner Brothers announces the uh, upcoming release of a Wonder Woman movie, which still may never happen, but uh, let's let's send her along t- to the next uh, competition. Uh, Next up in Visiting Dignitaries, we have Captain America, representing America, and Aquaman, (laughs) uh, obviously, and Aquaman, representing water. Um, Now, uh, listen, listen, Jeff, water's very important. You know, we're we're about two-thirds water, if I recall my chemistry. I love how Aquaman is king of water. (laughs) Not not Atlantis anymore, or whatever undersea kingdom he represents. He's king of water. (laughs) You know, Jeff, Aquaman, 
gets such a bad rap nowadays, and it, it's happened for so many years now. I mean, I, I, I sort of tend to trace it to that season of Entourage where Adrian Grenier's character was starring in Aquaman. But I, I think it's, it's been around for a lot longer than that. It's at the point now where there's this almost kind of retroactive disdain for the character. And it, it always impresses me because, you know, it, it'll, you know, they'll say that, you know, his powers are silly and his name is silly and his costume is silly. I mean, you can say that of every single superhero, basically, <laughs> you know? I mean, I, I don't know why exactly he gets such a bad rap. It, it honestly just seems like it's because, you know, in, in one version of his costume, he had those funny little, like, fin wing things on his feet, which I think are pretty cool, frankly. But, uh, um, uh, I, I think he's such a cool character as a kid who grew up loving, you know, Jules Verne and anything under the ocean and going to aquariums and stuff. I, I think that he's so rich with mythology, and I, I even think that, you know, fine, sure, he talks to fish. Guess what, everybody? There's a billion, billion fish in the water that he can talk to. He can have a, you know, gigantic whale shark or a, a giant squid attack Manhattan if he wants to. Um, now that I've defended him, uh, this one's Captain America for me. <laughs> I was about to say... Darren, I think you're not helping your cause here with, with that, that eloquent defensive Aquaman just seemed to be digging his hole even deeper. Um, yeah, you know, uh, look, I have nothing against Aquaman. Uh, he's just always there for me. You know, I mean, it, like, it, like we, we, need an, we need a water hero. <laughs> You know, like, uh, like, so, like, you know, it's like Aquaman, um, Mm -hmm. which I think is actually a cool name, Aquaman. Um, um, but I think Captain America, for any number of reasons, uh, is, is for me the most interesting character, um, being American, um, like, you know, I just, he's, he's, he's always going to be interesting, um, until our enemies wipe us off the map. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, no, and then, I, and then uh, some, and, and then some, some sharp young uh, British comic book writer will adopt him because there will be no, no more trademark on him, and uh, they'll do something interesting with him. No, I, uh, I, uh, I, I definitely agree. Um, let's, uh, we're in the home stretch here, Jeff. We have two more matchups. Uh, there's one. Face off here between two gallivanting billionaires. No other way to describe them. Uh, Iron Man and Green Arrow, two characters, very wealthy, each for their own reasons, decide to fight crime. One of them decides to fight crime with all the force of futuristic futuristic technology behind him. The other one decides to fight crime using funny arrows. Uh, I would love to offer some kind of defense of Green Arrow, and I'm very excited by what I hear about the new CW series. But, uh, I mean, Iron Man is just... I, I think one of the most interesting comic book characters of all time. So this is a pretty easy pick for me. It'd be interesting if, to see if we're we're really on the cusp of a of a Green Arrow Renaissance. I mean, um, you know, apparently archery is hot. Archery um, hot now, yeah. These days, with like you know, everyone uh, in in pop culture seems to have a bow and arrow or crossbow, <laughs> thanks to Katniss and uh, Revolution and the Olympics. Um, I like the Green Arrow. I think he's really cool and interesting, and some great stories have been done with him. Uh, I love, you know, the, the, even though they're kind of heavy-handed in retrospect, the Green Arrow, Green Lantern stuff, 
from the late 60s, early 70s, in which, you know, Green Lantern, the representative of the man, uh, and, and, and Green Arrow, sort of the counterculture firebrand, kind of go on this cross-country tour and, uh, and kind of deal with real-world issues. And mm-hmm. ever since that day, ever since those kind of, like, iconic stories, Green Arrow is sort of, like, uh, kind of occupied this sort of counterculture kind of category of, of characterization. Um, he's an interesting character. I, I, I really enjoyed, I don't know if you read it, uh, Kevin Smith's run on that character. Oh, yeah, no, I, 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 absolutely. Back in the uh, late 90s, early, early 2000s, right? Yeah, yeah there, there's, a gr- there, there's a grit to him. There's a credibility to him. Well, and, uh, and, and, you that know, we can relate to him. You know, something that I like about him a lot is that, you know, Iron Man is such this sort of... Uh, I think he's a very aspirational figure specifically for Americans in some ways because he is this sort of image of the billionaire who's kind of troubled, but not really. And, and you know, part of the fun of him is that he's almost kind of like our version of James Bond, I, I, I think. I mean, you know, there's there's a slightly more tragic aspect to him with this notion of, you know, the only thing keeping him alive is his armor, you know, the, 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 the whole Tin Man thing. But fundamentally, I think he's a very fun character. There's something that... I find very uh, enjoyable and maybe richer about Green Arrow, who's most often written as this very wealthy guy who sort of decided that he was going to become a super Marxist and, uh, you know, sort of, <laughs> sort of, you know, set off, you know, become a, a, a modern day Robin Hood. I, I really enjoy that. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I would be excited for a Green Arrow renaissance. Um, but, uh, but, that, but that said, I'm totally pro Iron Man in this fight. Mm-hmm. I mean... Um, I, I, I would vote for Iron Man, too. Um, it's hard. Um, I, I, when, when I was um, making my picks um, here, I was trying to ignore, um, uh, I, I was trying to kind of keep my um, frame of reference uh, exclusively comic books and kind of not think about um, his treatment in other media. That said, you know, it's almost impossible not to think about Robert Downey Jr.'s performance and, and, and the Robert Downey Jr. version of Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's, it's hard for me not to think of his relevancy uh, to, to a world that is increasingly technological. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, and cool costume. Iron Man all the way. Very cool costume. Frankly, all of his costumes are cool. I always kind of preferred the one that he wore during the Armor Wars, where rather than being red and yellow, it was red and white, and it was the 80s, so he had these big futuristic shoulder pads, too. <laughs> Very cool look. Um, all right, Jeff, we're down now to our last competition. There was no other way to describe these guys. They are absurdist psychopaths. They are spoofs of superherodom. It's arguable whether they are actually superheroes, although I, I think there's enough evidence to suggest that they're at least attempting to be superheroes. And maybe, you know, trying is, you know, admirable in and of itself. Jeff, we're talking about Deadpool versus The Tick. Um, what, do, you, do you know a lot about these characters? You know, like, uh, did you read The Tick or any of the, the number of, of Deadpool comic book series? What's, what's your perspective on this matchup? Um, Deadpool like is is a, is a very entertaining character and it's been very interesting to see how he has um uh the the deadpool following is sizable and surprising to me um he he strikes me as kind of like a a a a cult favorite kind of character uh that is sort of gaining traction um 
and uh, but I don't, you know, and I, I, I love his sense of humor and his absurdity. I'm much more of a tick guy, though. I love the tick. I love I love the ill-fated television show. I love the comics, and I have to say, though, that perhaps my vote should not count because I, I am biased and compromised here because uh, I, I attended the School of Visual Arts. That's where I went to school in New York City. And Ben Edlund at the time was a student, and his earliest tick comic strips appeared in the school newspaper, which I happened to be part of at the time, Canvas. And so like, I, I, I have some small part to play in the, in, in the origins of the tick. Um, Je- not, Jeff, not, not really at all. This Jeff is Jensen like, created the tick, everyone. No, no, that's Can you not believe what we're that? saying here. <laughs> in fact, I had nothing to do really with the tick at all, except that I worked at the same student newspaper where some of those strips appeared. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, but I've, but because of that connection, I've always had this amazing heart, this, this heart for the tick. And I love to, uh, I've, uh, it's been fun to kind of see his kind of cultural. Uh, it, 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 it's interesting, story. yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Jeff, because you're biased, we will have to throw your vote out. Uh, throw because, my vote out. Uh, because Deadpool, I think, is the unquestionable winner here. And it, it, it's interesting to hear, to hear your perspective on him. I sort of almost accidentally got into Deadpool back when I was reading comics in the days of my youth. He's a character who was invented by Rob Liefeld, who, you know, if you know anything about image comics, here's a guy who just is so controversial in that class of these sort of, uh, you know, very visual-based, uh, you know, all, all all of the, you know, the artists who, who broke away from the mainstream comic book companies to found Image. This is a guy who is arguably one of the worst comic book illustrators of all time, and just, he drew these sort of steroidal, weird visions of, uh, of, of superheroism. He invented Deadpool. I, 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 th- I think this is a stat. And I apologize if if I'm at all um, I'm inaccurate here. He sort of more or less created him to be uh, the Marvel answer to Deathstroke, the Terminator, to the point that Deathstroke, who is is a DC character who's who's been around for a while, his real name is Slade Wilson, and Deadpool's real name is Wade Wilson. So that was <laughs> th- that was kind of his origin story. Now o- over the course of time, Deadpool kind of became a, a more satiric figure, and there was a great run of a solo Deadpool series. Uh, it was written by Joe Kelly and for a long time was illustrated by Ed McGinnis, which is just one of the funniest and most out there comic books uh, that I think the mainstream uh, comic, co- comic book publishers have, have ever put out. My favorite issue was issue number 11, which I still have somewhere in the you know subterranean pit where I, I keep all my comic books. Um, he travels back in time to an issue of Spider-Man from the 1960s, and Ed McGinnis is, is was a great artist sort of manages to draw Deadpool into the issue sort of like the the old Forrest Gump uh, special effects and it's it's just the most the craziest the most meta the most out there comic book so so for that reason Deadpool has to really carry it for me I I, I do sort of enjoy the fact that he's kind of become this secret handshake among people who really like comics, but also really like the fact that Deadpool sort of pokes comics in in the ribs a, a little bit. I mean, he sort of constantly breaks the fourth wall, and uh, I, I'd love to know if that Deadpool movie will ever get off the ground. It, it seems like something that, to, 
to put lightly, I'm not sure if he has any mainstream appeal whatsoever. <laughs> it sounds, I mean, like, you know, it's interesting. I, I do have an appreciation for Deadpool, and my frame of references uh, for Deadpool are the comics that were written by Gail Simone, um, uh, and I really enjoyed her mm-hmm, run. Mm-hmm. She kind of continued that satiric, satiric, absurdist kind of, like, vibe. Um at the same time, when I think about the, the idea of, of extrapolating him into other media, he seems to be a character that only makes sense in a comic book world, in, in the comic book medium, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and a best appreciated by people who who are hardcore comic book fans. Absolutely. I, I mean, the only way he would work as a movie is if he sort of made the movie into a, a parody of superhero movies, yeah. Um, which uh, I mean, you know, I I don't know that there's been a good film parody in a very long time, so I hesitate to even offer that up as a possibility. Yeah. <laughs> but um, well, okay, Jeff, that, that that brings us to the end of, of, of our bracket. Uh, I, I I think we can all agree that Deadpool is probably going to win this whole thing. So that's the, 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 <laughs> that's certainly pretty exciting. But uh, no, it'll be it'll be exciting to uh, return to this in future podcasts. And I, I would just remind our listeners: you can vote right now. There are still a couple of Week One matches open, and we'll be hosting this. Would you call it Jeff August Madness? Uh, August, August Madness, yes. August uh, August Madness will be going on uh, throughout well August. So be sure to keep checking back at EW for future matchups. Um, Jeff, I, I, I think that about wraps us up for today. Uh, we, we had wanted to talk a little bit about 2001, A Space Odyssey, but uh, maybe we can save that for next week. Does that sound okay to you? Yeah, definitely. I'd love to um, dig into that in the context of, so our listeners know, in the, the recent Sight and Sound poll uh, a ranking of the, uh, of the of the greatest films of all time, but maybe we can get back into that in another time. Yep, yep. Uh, viewers, we'll, we'll get into that next week. Start getting excited for me to uh, brag about the fact that I read all four books in Arthur C. Clarke's 2001 cycle, including 2010, Odyssey 2, 2061, Odyssey 3, and 3001, colon, The Final Odyssey. And, and listeners, um, please get excited for that. <laughs> I love how you I love how you pitched that to them. Like, get excited just, for the fact just, that you've read four books. Just please, please, listeners, please try to get excited about that if possible. Um, all right, uh, that that wraps us up for this week's episode of Entertainment Weekly. Uh, I'm Darren Franich. I'm Jeff Chen. Thanks for listening, everyone.